0: Welcome to the Larkast. Yes, the Larkast. Oh, yeah. Did you hear that? Those are the sounds of the old podcast from the Larkats back in the <laughs> slowdown podcast days. Whenever somebody would say something cool and someone else would go. Doo,
1: doo, doo. <laughs> this is episode 83. I believe. I Dang. And um a lot of people don't know. We we had a podcast prior to this called the Slowdown Podcast. And we had we ninety-one did. episodes on that podcast. Mm. So this is like our hundred and seventy second podcast.
0: Pretty That's wild. It's a lot of conversations, man, that That's we've recorded together. It's true. True, true story. So if you're joining us today, welcome. And if you haven't had a chance to check out the last 82, 81, what is today? 82? Yeah, 81 episodes. Feel free to dive into that. Hopefully you'll be encouraged by many takes on the good news of Jesus with no filter. That's just something that we're pretty passionate about. This should be a place where you encounter scandalous grace. Um, because let's just face it, if we're honest with ourselves, we're all pretty much in need of God's scandalous, reckless, unqualified, indiscriminate, inexhaustible, right? We can keep going on the list here, grace. So cheers to that. Cheers. To these episodes. Thank you so much for joining us today. You have me, Russ, one of your hosts, Tony, who's already shared. And you What's probably that? heard some echoes in the background from Jameson who's also on our team and joins us from time to time in these crazy conversations that we've been having, especially in the book of John, which is where we've been journeying. And let's face it, man, this is a book that, uh, let's just say, let's just go ahead and say this. There's a reason why in many church settings, when you meet somebody who's like a new believer in Jesus, they're always pointed to go read the book of John. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. It's like you going back through this book, man. Especially through the lens of "It is finished," through the lens of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, dude. It's been pretty life giving, man. To to kind of sit and see God in this light. Oh well, yeah,
1: man. God, I uh, love this gospel, man. Um, I went through it with some friends a couple summers ago, and and then we started we started it and the lark cast like the summer afterwards so yeah i dig it for
0: sure it just never gets old man it never gets old and it just always un i don't know why but it always undoes it feels like it undoes you as you talk about it right or as you read it i know that's not a good phrase i wish i had a better one like it's it's kind of coming from this popular term that you hear like you know in regards to something like you know being like undoing you you know like it it seems to like unravel in a sense like so much of what you've held on to but what's weird is you you go through it you learn it you study it you teach it you kind of go through it again you study it you're right you're learning some new things you're teaching it and then here i feel like here i am again going through this book and every week when we podcast, I'm like, I don't know if anyone else is digging this, but if anything, <laughs> it's been such a joy for me. Oh man, to just look into this text, and I mean, in you know, in John 15, just looking at what we talked about with, which if you haven't, have to get a chance to check that out. Those of you who are listening, please do. Just how Jesus unpacks, like it's for your joy that I'm telling you this, right? And then in 16, he's looking at all the disciples and he's telling them, hey, guys, um, you're all going to abandon me. And so I've been telling you all these things about what I'm like and what I'm doing and where I'm going and where I'll be in the midst of your abandoning me so that you'll have peace in the realization of what you've done wrong. But yet my love for you, and even in the midst of this. And dude, that one for me was so just kind of like a flat line, I feel like chapter in the in the book, but at the same time is like, just explode your heart, man, as you just think about those words. And yep. so here we are, John 17, crazy chapter, a little odd if we're not, you know, if we're just going to be honest. I mean, there's a bunch, dude, that we could talk about in this chapter, a bunch, and it can be a little bit exhausting. So I think what we're going to do is, If it's cool with you dudes, I'd love to pick up on just a couple of key passages in the chapter. I feel like verse three is one of those like, yes, this one, please. And then what is it? Verse 23 that I'm thinking of is another one of those passages. It's like, yeah, this one really also seems to jump out of the chapter. And of course, there's a whole lot more. But those two in particular are something I'd really love to dig into. Well, they stand
2: out so much because of what we usually do with this chapter. And I don't know what your guys' experiences were like, but mine was a mixed bag. You know, some I think there's a lot of reverence for this chapter, which is awesome. Um, Cause it is the most, I think it's one of the most bizarre, weird chapters in the Bible. Cause it's the only one we have where you just have Jesus monologuing, but he's talking to the Father. So, he's praying. so that he can be heard by the disciples. And because John can write this whole thing down, however many, two or three decades later, um, something incredible yeah. happened here and it doesn't happen anywhere else in our Bible. So it's really cool. But here's what happens with this text. I think it usually gets employed as like a a manifesto for how to pursue unity, mm-hmm. which ends up meaning it kind of just devolves into a unity production effort, but <laughs> among just the different doctrinal positions of Christians, all the different denominations, they're just trying to figure out how they can get along is what churches can, can think that this means. And what Jesus is praying for is that you're supposed to go and really run hard after unity.
1: Oh, but don't you guys know that if all the churches and in- a city get together and do a big worship service that the whole like surrounding neighborhood people who everyone don't believe are they're all going to believe everyone man we did that a lot and they didn't <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's so self like debasing because we were I, I was uh just so excited about it man it's what
1: we're worked really hard and they're going to see they're going to see we all we all
0: get along. <laughs> I worked with a group of church leaders from various cities that led to the city gatherings, Jameson, that took place in Chicago and other places. And the belief was that this would definitely happen. But I remember looking back on it and even partaking in a couple of those men that took place in like in New York City. And I'm like, there's nine million people in this city. And you put all this time and effort into this unifying gathering worship service and like 230 people, up, you know, and you look at this thing and then like you watch it play out and you're like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't, I'm not dissing on the effort as much as I'm just saying, maybe this, maybe there's another, maybe, maybe Jesus is saying something else here in John 17 and what we're thinking. Probably not, dude. He's probably just means we should do some joint worship services. Yeah. Sometimes, dude, I'm just gonna be honest. Sometimes I feel like I feel like there are people who don't know our personalities. Okay, that are listening in. And I, I feel like there are people out there that worry about us. I feel like there's even some people I've met that are like, man, we should pray for these guys. Definitely.
1: <laughs> you definitely should. And um
0: <laughs> I, I had a recent conversation with a church leader and he was like, yeah, man, like, sounds like you really went through a lot that led to all these conclusions you have. And I'm like, bro, <laughs> let me just stop you right there. These conclusions I have, I had while I was leading <laughs> the church and yeah. sharing them openly. This isn't something I arrived at because I got burnt in the church world. I didn't get burnt yeah. at all.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it recently got back to me that, and, and that's a pretty easy way to just kind Same of idea. um to shut someone up you know mm-hmm. um you know, oh man he just has some church hurt you know oh he he just has some he just has some church hurt
0: yeah yeah in which case I'm like so does that count for Jesus he just has like some yeah some temple hurt man is <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jesus he's got <laughs> some, he's got some temple some temple hurt so- yeah, like I I I I I I got to the place where I was just by By looking at at the scriptures.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: Um, Not because, you know, some elder didn't ask how I was doing for four months.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Looking at the scriptures, heart for people outside, seeing disconnects, you know, and then just watching yourself spend a lot of time and energy on ideas that you would later find yourself going, yeah, I think we arrived at these from a misunderstanding of what Jesus is actually saying. Mm Mm-hmm. And it led to a lot of time and effort and money spent on things that actually took me away from my neighbors. So I'd really love to just kind of get back to that.
1: Yeah, and it's just a lot of bad news getting handed off on stages across the country. You know, all of us at the core of our stories are grappling um, with discovering just how good the good news actually is. Even though we are very familiar with the term good news and probably really prided ourselves on people who are about, uh, the gospel. Um, and so really discovering how good this good news is, that's, that's the, that's the core of our, our origin stories do. Yeah. We got some fresh, we got some frustration with, with the church for sure. Um, but, um, Man, me and my family went to a, a friends gathering, you know, a couple weeks ago. Went and got coffee, got breakfast beforehand, went, chatted with some people beforehand, afterwards, you know, participated. It was fun. We had a great morning. It was great. Russ, you speak sometimes over at, at Tullian's mm-hmm. Thing. You're you're kind of you know a, a staple in that community now jameson you lead worship sometimes you'll you'll bounce into services here and there been asked to to speak Mm -hmm. i've spoke at at services you know and gatherings here and there (laughs) like bro you know like we don't have a problem you know with it we do have a problem with people twisting the words of jesus to be something that they're not
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah and
2: i think this chapter is one of those um It's one of those bedrock level things that get twisted and that like Mm -hmm. the far reaching impact of that twisting is I think devastating. And when you sit with people that have experienced a lot of pain and hurt from within church circles, you, you're gonna, if you pull on that thread long enough, you're going to come back to some of the stuff we talk about here tonight in John 17. Like this is, yeah,
0: this I'm is just wh- going to, this is it. This is like you said, man, this is like the level in the playing field because like right out of here in verse three, you know, Jesus begins praying. Okay. And like right out of the shoot, he just makes this known. And, you know, he talks about, you know, the father, you know, him, you know, glorifying the son, you know, and him, you know, he says, uh, I'm just going ahead to read this. He says, glorify your son, that the son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Okay, that's verse 2. Verse 3. And this is eternal life. Right there. This, what I'm about to say, Jesus says, this is eternal life. Which, I'm just going to be honest, I didn't hear for years within church circles. That they know you the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Period. <laughs> yep. And that's that's a
2: period that, that John drops over and over again. And it yes. just feels uh, mind-numbing how, how we got away from that. After how, like, it's just so bold in this in this bold book but right there just that's that's what it says
0: Hmm. this is eternal life man and he's been saying this right back earlier in john 6 for this is the work of god the will of god is that you believe in the son and whom he sent i mean this is this is good this is beautiful this is true this is life-giving for a for all of us who have come to as tony sometimes says the end of Many ropes, right? The virtuous rope, the church rope, the personal rope, the financial rope, the family rope. I mean, just keep going down the list here, man. Whatever rope you're at the end of, because you've actually lived a true, actual human life, and you were willing to look in the mirror at reality. This is good news, man. That eternal life, life with God, that's what this means. Here and forever, okay? Here and forever, life with Him. This is it. That you would know that you would believe that you would trust the same word, right? Him. That's it, dude. Everything else flows out of that. And amen for all that flows out of it. Yeah. Let's not confuse the essence of it though. If you pair
1: this phrase with, um, 16, we talked about knowing his peace in the middle of betrayal. Um, something that, um, that I, I, I got from Kruger. That's always kind of stuck with me is um, Jesus revealing himself and giving us eyes to see the father in the middle of our darkness, deep, deep down in mm. our darkness. And there's something about the atonement that is true there too. And Jesus really submitting himself, you know, unto, unto death and unto betrayal and unto murder and all that. Um Again, we, we, we tend to think that God is not in our brokenness, that he kind of stands outside of it as someone who needs to be pursued. And in that pursuit, we will not be as broken. We'll be better. We'll be, you know, more loving, more holy, more righteous. We'll have less moments of betrayal. We'll have less, you know, sinful moments, but he reveals himself to us in the darkest parts of who we are. Um, because yep. man, we confront front a lot and there's a lot of scenarios in life where we kind of, we have to perform, you know, um, like work, you know, neighbor relationships, you know, as you're out and about, um, your family really kind of is the people closest to you really, you know, see your, your true self. And it's like he reveals himself in the middle of those moments And when it says that we would know him, I think layered in the context of that is a God who is really truly revealing himself at the core and in the deepest, darkest places of who we really are in our minds and in our hearts. And so that knowing there is very, very personal. It's very, very intimate. It's very, very pointed it's a kind of knowing he's not talking about like theological knowing. We're not talking doctrine here. Mm -hmm, We're not talking about passing, you know, we're not talking about graduating seminary. Um, We're talking about locking it down in our heads and our hearts that he is with us in an unwavering way, even in the shittiest moments in our life.
2: Yep. It's like Jesus is standing on the inside of where (laughs) everything about you right in the moment where you're doing the worst thing you've ever done. And all he's saying with a smile on his face is I love you. Hmm. The worst thing you can imagine you've ever done. And the mountain of all the small work of bad things you've ever done. Like that's where he is right outside the city, outside the gates, outside the town (laughs) Hmm. on the garbage heap. That's where he is declaring, I love you. I'm one with the father. I'm face to face with the father Mm. and I live and dwell. I've built my new temple inside your self, (laughs) your past, your everything. Okay. Mm. Like, yes, like that is way more personal than we are willing to let Jesus be. Um, I think we're embarrassed at how personal Jesus is, which is why it seems easier to act like we're devoted to getting our act together or devoted to trying harder or more effectively. Hmm. I'm with you, man. That's.
1: Well, I think, I mean, think about hmm. it, you know, like there's a local church, you know, around here. And, you know, okay, so we started this podcast off by saying we don't really have a problem with, with churches, but here here I am. Um, it's like the thrust of, of everything is the, the ministry of the sermon, right? And then they start a podcast that talks about the sermon. So we got the sermon, we got a podcast about the sermon, and then... And then you jump into a small group and it's just more conversation about the sermon and questions that are leading you to discuss the sermon. All it is, is just kind of like knowledge, you know, factual kind of knowledge. Am I saying there's not any community there? There's not anybody like really being like open and honest and that there's, you know, care and, you know, like real comfort and and good news and some moments like that. I'm just saying like in general, man, we're just infatuated with like, we think that we read over these words, knowing him, knowing more about him. Mm.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Yep. Yep. You definitely get a, there's a, there's a, an actual high that you can almost get, you know, that can come from the, the study of something, the understanding of something, the talking about something, the endless talking about it. And there's a sense of control that's sort of, you know, that's all that's, that's given allowance. Let's just say within that sort of structure. And so I think that's, it's hard, man, because on one hand it's, is contrary to the actual knowing of what Jesus is referring to here. Okay. But then on the flip side, it's just this human condition that's like, yeah, but this is so much easier and just more comfortable, man, to, to you know, to swing at it from this approach than to actually embrace the the real mess, man, the muck of my life. Mm. And to find Jesus there. I will say though, I don't think the other actually leads to faith from my experience. I know that's a bold statement. I'm not saying that it can't. I'm not saying that I never will. Okay. I'm not like putting You're out a blanket in, this statement in general. I'm just saying that I, I know there's people that have been in you know the game longer, man, but in 24 years of pastoral ministry and teaching, I can't really find anywhere, man, where I've seen somebody genuinely just come alive in awe and wonder that did not embrace the muck of their life mm. and find Jesus on the inside saying yeah i'm right here mm. i know it all and i still love you mm. yep so i think yeah, because
1: that, they well jesus is meeting them and this is this is very real for them they've just given their lot dude they've they've sacrificed a lot in life with just, with just walking and being with him. Like, dude, you think, you, you think the guy who took up his pallet and walked the guy who was born blind, everyone who's been kicked out of a synagogue up to this point, you think that's how they're treating them? How do you think these guys are looking at the ones who were the Jesus's posse? I mean, he even says in 16 and 17, dude, they're, they're coming for you.
0: Yep. Yeah. 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 This is this is cancel culture on a whole nother level, man. <laughs> like what these guys are facing.
1: So they're scared. Yeah. You know, they're scared. And and he's really just dropping, you know, peace and you know, eternal life, knowing the father. And I can't help but think that maybe more now than ever are their ears open considering the
0: stakes. Yeah. And I mean, this is all coming on the heels of Jesus telling them you're going to all abandon me. Yeah. And I've been talking to you about what I'm like and reminding you of all that I am so that you'll have peace when you do. Mm -hmm. And then he goes into this prayer when he starts talking to the father and just makes known what eternal life is like what it is at its core, man. And then of course, if, if you go back, you know, I would invite anyone listening to this to, if you, however, however you go about you know, listening to the podcast, maybe you need to pull over right now and hit a pause button and go read John chapter 17 and hop back in. But mm-hmm. you have a variety of passages here that Jesus speaks to within his prayer where he starts to really unpack this oneness, right? Mm-hmm. Just, once again, reminding everyone in the room as he's talking to the Father, I feel like, about this this reality of him being one with the Father and him making us one with himself, therefore one with the Father. And you see sort of this beautiful picture, man, It's all flowing out of this understanding of what it really is to know him, this eternal life. And if you get down towards like the end of the chapter, okay, Jesus, you know, he's like, listen. He he tells he he says to the Lord in verse seventeen says to the Father sanctify them in the truth. Well, the truth is, by the way, a person, right? As we saw earlier in John fourteen, Jesus, and of course, all the scriptures that point to Him that testify to Him that is truth. Your word is truth. That's another word, right? Right there, Jesus is the Word, he became flesh and dwelt among us. That's John chapter one. So I'm just saying, like, there's there's a value, man, in going through like a gospel like this and looking at it. And he says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Okay. And he says, in further sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. He says, in truth. Now, if you'll go with me here in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, but ask, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, father are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I've given to them that they may be one, even as we are one. By the way, there's there's no like litmus test in anything here that Jesus is unpacking. There's no things for all of us to go and accomplish this is all flowing out of the reality of what we've already talked about in verse three, that eternal life is knowing him by faith to know him. Okay. And then he goes on to declare this reality of us being one, but check this out. Verse 23, because this is another one of those verses in the chapter. I'm like, we got to hit this one. He says this in verse 23, I and them and you and me, that they may also become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me them even as you loved me bro i don't know about you man but that to me sounds a lot different than yeah we're on a crusade right now to fix the world and get it to straighten up and fly right make sure we get everybody in the right camps and get all the right tribes aligned get all the right morality and all the ethics you know infused within this thing instead it's like no here's what i'm doing here's reality and i just man, I mean i just i can't get over that dude
2: i think when you like if, if you pull back he says if you pull back and you look at like all of john 17 <laughs> you zoom out a little more and you read 13 through 17 and just take it as a piece and then Someday when you've got some time on your hands, go read the gospel of John cover to cover. Okay. You just, you've got to experience it that way. Cause this was a, a written document that John expected. It was handed around and he expected it just to be read aloud in all the churches, right?
0: Yeah.
2: That's how this book happened at the beginning. But if you're looking at John 17 in all of that context, what you're going to come away with is this idea That Jesus' determination, like the thing he's just aiming for and will not stop, is for people to see themselves the way he does. Right? He wants them to see themselves the way the Father sees them. He wants us to see the Father the way Jesus sees the Father. And he wants us to see the love of God as in us, as something that's been true all along. It's, it's not a thing that's been dangling like a carrot in front of us to get us to move from A to B. It's the very thing that holds us together. And I think that this, when you see Jesus trying to help us see something differently, trying to change our perspective. I mean, the obvious thing is that you don't see Jesus ever trying to change God. (laughs) Jesus isn't trying to change God's perspective of us. He's not Mm -hmm. trying to change God's mind or change God's will toward us ever. Jesus is very clearly trying to change the way people see God. And when you let that be true, that, number 1 is so just i mean overwhelming at the very least yeah but for me when i think about what i mean what got us here right like the three of us in a conversation like this right now is the gospel discipleship church wanting to see people free because we've seen The offer of freedom everywhere. Everybody's talking about freedom and ways to get it and keep it and all this stuff. And as we've sat in this, I'm just, and I'm, I guess for myself, I feel like we are out like the whole reason we're even having these conversations, the gospel of John, you know, for hours and hours and hours. It's because we're out to help people forget everything they know except Jesus and him crucified. Cuz that really is like Paul wasn't joking. That's not hyperbole. That's Paul saying, yeah, this is it. This is the good news. I saw to know me, nothing
0: among you but this. Yeah. Yeah. In 1 Corinthians chapter
2: 1. Like mm-hmm. this this all in when you, when you come out of John 17 and you remember Paul saying that, I'm like, there's a full reimagination and reset of what discipleship is. And I'm I feel like we need to recover the foolishness of discipleship. <laughs> when wow. I think about all of it, I'm like, we need to allow the absurdity of the fact that this whole thing's been true all along and the problem wasn't making it true. The problem was we aren't willing to acknowledge it Mm -hmm. as true.
1: Yeah. I'll connect what you guys are saying, you know, back to, um, John 17 here, um, the foolishness of the cross, um, and the wisdom of the world. Jesus later on in this prayer talks about, you know, I gave him your word. I think he, I think literally what he's saying is like, You know, I don't speak anything that I, unless I hear it from you. I think Mm -hmm. what he's saying is I I came and I I shared what you're like. I came and gave them your word. The thing you wanted me to say while I was here, I said it. And the world hated me for it. And they're going to hate you for it too. Well, in John's gospel, who, who is the one beefing most with the words of Jesus? It's the quote-unquote church, yeah, the church leaders. And I know 100%. I've said this before, but we I think we really need to hear this. The world that he's talking about here is the church, what would be known as the church, the religious community. And he refers the to them as the world in John 17. Why? Because they can't see the wisdom of the foolishness of God, which is Christ crucified. They can't see how losing fits into the equation. How losers fit into the equation?
0: Hmm. The only ones who get to come to the party. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't compute, man. There's a a, a total disconnect, I think, for us. I was always taught
1: the world was, you know, there's the, you know, the church is over here, the religious community, they're the good guys and the people who are outside of that, you know, that's the world and they hate, they hate our stance on, you know, heterosexuality or like whatever, you know, like pick your kind of like your topic of, you know, morality or, you know, whatever. They're, they're going to hate you, you know, for that. Dude, start start telling stories of um, bosses handing out full-blown paychecks to, to people who come to work 15 minutes before quitting time, and he pays them the same as the guy who's there starting at All 4 a.m.
0: Yeah, you'll figure out where the religious crowd is real quick.
1: And that'll get someone to rip their garment off. Last night
0: rage. I um I couldn't sleep. Fell asleep for a little while, woke up, middle of the night, couldn't fall back asleep, came out on the couch, turned on Hulu, man, and uh Sons of Anarchy popped up. So I was like, Well, I ain't seen this in a while, man. So I clicked on some SOA. I think it was like season four or something, man, right? Click it, and I'm watching out here on the couch like two thirty in the morning. And uh Long story short, man, in this scene, Tig, you know, who's a wild man, right? If you're not familiar with SOA, he's a wild dude. Who's Tig again? Black hair, curly. He was like, he was like uh, a president's like right-hand dude. I mean, he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like the poster child of debauchery for the Sons of Anarchy (laughs) Motorcycle Gang. So he's got two daughters. Apparently you find out later in the show, one's named Dawn and one's (laughs) Fawn. True you just have to laugh at so there's this odd scene man in one episode where his daughter shows up okay and she's like a 20 year old girl man and she's all upset that her sister is all strung out she's in bad shape we need to get a bunch of cash asap and get her in a rehab center she's gonna die and tig's like what like your sister she's because her sister's not like this right But the one who's come to him that's all upset and doing this whole scene, she's the one who's normally like in and out of like a lot of trouble. So a couple of the ladies within the house, man, they start doing some research and dive in and they find out it's a lie. So they pull him to the side and they're like, look, dude, I know you don't see your daughter much because the estranged relationship because both of you seem to be running down a road of, of rebellion in a lot of ways. And it's caused a lot of disconnect but she's lying to you she's trying to get 15 grand cash from you and it's all for a lie and he's like what and he's like so disheartened over it right but as he goes to press in with her he finds that she opens up and she talks and he's in these conversations with her and he's listening to her and she's leaning on his shoulder and she's crying and then the next day there's this scene where she's getting in the cab She gives him a big hug and she kisses him. She tells him how much she loves him and she leaves. And the ladies walk up that work there and are like, you gave her the money, didn't you? And he goes, yep. And they go, you know that that was all a lie. And he goes, yep. You know that there's going to be a day where she comes back and spends a few days crying on your shoulder. And she does this again. And dude, he literally smiles and he goes, yeah, I know. And bro, I'm sitting there on the couch, like, holy cow. Like that's, that's a scene, man, from the prodigal.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: And of course you could take it in some different takes, but my point is the thing that I found in that is there was just this dad, man who knows all about his daughter and all that she's doing. That's not good, but he just wants to be with her, man. Yeah. He just wants to be with her.
2: Yeah. I've, I got another one like that, that I really want to share there. I was, uh, I took my family and surprised the kids with a trip to the good old great wolf lodge um Mm. they didn't know in the car where even we were headed so they whined and complained for an hour and a half so it was a double surprise we get there we're at great wolf lodge like this is awesome you know we're gonna go literally play on a water pool with slides and everything for two days well the second surprise was that our friends and their four kids who are super close with our four kids they were also there Mm. our rooms are in the same floor it's two nights and three days of too much chlorine and chasing children and not really sure where all of them are yep. at every given moment. And we finally get to this point where they're all, they're all in the room. They're watching a movie, the four adults, we go back down to the hot tub and get a drink and we're just talking and chilling. And this father comes walking into the hot tub, holding his paraplegic son. Mm. Okay. No arms, legs, legs, motor skills ability whatsoever just and you can tell you know he's just real skinny um they're talking having a good time and laughing he goes in and he sits down and they chill we're over here drinking our drinks having our good time and the guy gets up after a while and he moves out my buddy's my buddy is like beside himself just he's like you look like you're having a really good time and the dad's like we love it we just love it and pete's like hey, uh, you think you could hold a beer in one hand while you were holding him? If I got you a beer? He's like, I probably could. I don't have time, but uh, thanks anyway. And I'm sitting there watching this all happen and you can see the dude's joy, right? Mm-hmm. You, can, you can see it. You can feel it. He's by himself. He's not impressing anybody. Um, he's with his son. Taking him into a hot tub to enjoy their time together and something as simple as warm water. like, And I was sitting there watching it and, and thinking, and we talked about it. I was like, guys, this we just watched a living parable because we are the quadriplegic son. We are the one who could not be in the pool and stay alive. If we were not held up by our father, which means we are the ones who are never expected to suddenly not be quadriplegic and be able to keep ourselves afloat or take ourselves to the pool. Like there's no anticipation or expectation for that kind of a change. The delight of the father is the reality the father loving being with his son and doing something that the son loves, that's what the gospel is. (laughs) He's there with him, carrying him into life. Can you imagine being the son and insisting that you figure out how to walk as a paraplegic? Like, Can you imagine sitting there wondering making literally making it up making up the story that man my dad is only cool with me if i can really start getting this together yeah he's not he's he's a little disappointed in me because i i just didn't you know i didn't play football i didn't start my own company i didn't win the spelling bee whatever it is like that anxiety is the spiritual psychosis that comes from the if then of religion it comes from the God only loves you if, <laughs> and it's like, just not true. We, just we not true. are held, held by a love that will never let us go. It's the truest, truest truth
0: that there ever is. Totally ties in and all this. I mean, you've got Jesus telling these guys that, you're all going to abandon me, but I just want you to know how I feel about you so that you'll have peace. Goes into a prayer where he makes it known that eternal life is simply knowing, right? The Father through him. To believe, to trust, to know him intimately, right? And then he just goes on and unpacks this whole oneness, man, that's taking place because of who he is and what he's about to do. And then he sort of closes out this prayer with just asking that we would that we would know God's love for us is the same as how the father loves His son this is your reality and i don't know about you guys man but so far this has all been 100% downhill something of him flowing to us this is this is us receiving and rejoicing man this is reclining and reveling in what is good and beautiful And cheers to that man. Yeah, cheers
2: to that. Yep. Amen. So good.
0: So there it is. There's uh there's John 17, man, in a nutshell. Until next time. Yeah, hopefully you're as encouraged as we are, man. Till then. Here, here. Cheers.